2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member
0: FDSE. Football Social Daily with German doner kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber This
1: is Football Social Daily. Welcome, a Premier League podcast keeping you up to date with everything that's going on in England's top flight. A top flight that could soon be back underway as well we're looking at maybe three four weeks which means the podcast will be back up to seven days a week too with a brand new show every single day right now there are new episodes throughout the week including on a friday which today is your aqa episode where we answer your questions whatever those questions might be and tackling those quandaries and queries today we got will brazer and marley anderson hello gents
0: good morning
1: thank you very much for coming on so if you want to get a question in for next week's aqa episode marley how can they do that
2: uh just go to any of our social media pages um sport at sports social on twitter at sports social official on instagram and just search the sports social on facebook Anyway, you are. anyway you like. Cool. Right, get your questions in there for next week. We've got a
1: full house of questions for today, so we'll crack straight on. First up, we've got a question and a review in one. It was left by Ruben on Apple Podcasts, and he said, this is a great podcast for keeping up to date with the latest Premier League news. It has a good mix of news and humour. So a little bit of flattery, which kind of greases the wheels in terms of getting your... Question onto the podcast. So if you want to leave a question via Apple iTunes or Castbox, however you listen, that's fine as well. He gets onto his question next. He says, Who should be Manchester United's player of the season so far? But there's a caveat. Excluding Bruno Fernandez because he hasn't really been in the team for long enough. So there's your question. I guess it's kind of telling in itself that he's excluding Bruno Fernandez for being player of the season. And it just shows A, how influential Bruno Fernandes has been since he arrived at Manchester United, but also potentially how poor everyone else has been, that a player that has only played half a dozen games is even being considered for player of the season already. So who are you going for? Marley, you can go first. Who would be
2: your player of the season for United outside of Fernandes? Um, Well, considering Bruno Fernandes has been ruled out, I would have given it to him. But if we're going for somebody that isn't a Portuguese fellow with... A few dodgy tattoos. I would say um, I go for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. To be honest, I think he's been mm. he's been very very good since he he signed from Crystal Palace, obviously for a big fee. Um, there isn't many wingers who want to play him in the Premier League. I mean, I seen a um, a quote from Patrick Van Aanholt in, earlier in the week that said um, that. Aaron wan is better than Trent Alexander Arnold because there's no wingers in the league that would fancy themselves against Wan-Bissaka for ninety minutes. Who would you want to play against in training every week? You'd rather play against someone like Trent Alexander Arnold, who isn't as qualified yeah. defensively. So, looking at Wan-Bissaka's performances this this season, I think he's been he's been excellent. The defensive side of his game is is as good as any fullback in the league, um, if not better. Um, and I think his his attacking Prowess needs a bit more work. If if Man United are going to dominate possession in games, um, and his delivery needs a bit of uh, a bit of work as well, but I think that'll uh, that'll come with with playing with the likes of you know Bruno and Pogba and everyone else at Man United. So hopefully that can come on and he can become a, a very well rounded player. But for the money they've spent on him, he's settled straight into the team and he's been been untouchable. I think so. I think I'd probably give it to him.
1: I think you're right about the attacking side of his game as well. And that feels like it has been a slight frustration maybe for Manchester United fans that he isn't that fullback that's getting forward on the overlap and crossing balls in. But his defensive game is so strong, it's difficult to look past that. And if you watched him at Crystal Palace, you knew that wasn't part of his game. You knew he wasn't going to get forward beyond the midfield and get those balls in because he was a defender that kind of sits back and he stops the Goodens getting forward, if you like. And his stats kind of back that up as well. Four tackles a game. That's 99 for the whole of the season, which puts him second in the league behind Leicester's Ricardo Pereira. I think you're right. I think for me, it's Aaron Wan-Bissaka has been United's strongest player this season. Maybe Daniel James. He came out of the blocks really fast at the beginning of the season, but he's tailed off a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, would you agree, Will? Is it Aaron Wan-Bissaka for you?
0: Um, I've actually stuck to the defensive front, but I've gone for Harry Maguire. Um, I think it's quite easy easy to dismiss him just because of the monumental fee that's gone with it. But Mm. I do think near, well, as we were getting just before the lockdown, I honestly do think he was coming into his own. They've actually had more clean sheets already this season, uh, one more than they did last season. Um, And you can sort of nearly see glimmerings of... A bit more defensive stability and I only think it's just going to get better for, for them as well and um, it was the uh, the area that they needed to identify and I think it's quite easy to give him a lot of stick uh, because like we said about the price tag but I honestly do think he has bought a lot of and you think as well David De Gea has not been on form as well so he's had that to contend with as well but um, it was between him and Marcus Rashford um, but maybe because I was a, a poor centre-back myself that's why I've chose Harry Maguire
1: <laughs> he looked very shaky when he first got into that squad though didn't he Maguire he didn't look particularly strong at all when comparing to his performances for Leicester City where he was this man mountain in the centre of defence it's taken him a while to adapt at United is that just because the players are at, like the other centre-back next to him whoever that was in that combination just wasn't quite up to the job maybe
0: yeah I think so especially at the back as well you you very much rely on relationships and partnerships growing and they take time to develop. And he didn't have the best of resources to start with, but like um, we mentioned with Wan-Bissaka there, it's sort of, I still don't think they know their best back four and that's probably who's the best centre-back pairing for Harry Maguire. But you look at Chris Smalling on loan out at, at Roma, he's absolutely shredding it up mm. over there. So if he can come back and slot in next to him... David De Gea finds some form. I think you've got a really strong defensive unit going there.
1: Do you think the door's still open for Smaller?
0: I think it might be the other way around, to be fair, because I think the door would be open for him to come back just because of the form he's done. But would he want to come back? Because you come over here and you sort of put in the same boat as Phil Jones and you're sort of labelled as a joke by the media (laughs) and out in Italy, he's sort of forged a brand new career and Italy's known Mm. for their defensive stability and he's... I think he's cracking on over there, so I think it'd be more if he wants to come back.
1: Solid question Ruben, thank you very much for getting the podcast started. Let's move on to question number two which you've got Will.
0: Yes, it is from Fred and it's from Instagram and he says in what position would Celtic and Rangers finish if they played in the English Premier League? Marley, I'll start with you, what are you saying? Um, I, it's, it's
2: gone on for ages. This there's,
0: there's always that
2: thing, isn't there, if it, if it was a British league, where would they finish? But I think Celtic fans would would like to think they would trouble the top four. Um, I would I would they not wouldn't. agree with that. I think they'd be, I'd say mid table at, at, at best. Like probably looking at tenth as the best for me. Like I think they'd be more likely to be in the lower half, just because of uh, the 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 depth of quality in the squad. They've got a got a few good players, but I mean, how could Oddson Edward? You know, carry you through in in a Premier League season, and I'm not really sure about that. Um, they do have some every now and again. They've got players that go on to be, you know, very very good players. You think of, you know, Henrik Larsson, and um, recently uh, Moussa Dembélé going on to Lyon, and and all the rest of it. But Van Dijk, Dijk yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, but the tends like, if you think if you think about Van Dijk, he had to go to when they sold him, he had to go to Southampton, who were like a mid-table Premier League side at the time so if you're looking at their best players going to mid-table sides that kind of shows where the uh, where their sort of level is for me Um, I do like Celtic but I just I don't think they'd be in the top half Uh, Rangers I mean Rangers aren't as good as Celtic so if Celtic aren't getting in in the top half then I don't think think Rangers would, would be anywhere close to even top half i think they'd they'd struggle i think they'd be 15th 16th fighting relegation most most weeks mm. if you look at the players they've got i don't really think there's many who you'd say he he'd be mint in england like morelos would probably end up spending 20 games banned a season for headbutting a, a ball boy or something um mm. and yeah i don't think they've they've got they haven't got enough quality of celtic and celtic haven't got enough quality to match up with sort of the top eight or top 10 in the Premier League, I wouldn't think, especially with the money. The money is the biggest thing. Celtic are like 10 times as rich as pretty much anyone. And they're probably half, well, not even half as rich as the Premier League top six. So if you look at it like that, for them to compete on a bigger level like that would be almost impossible for me.
1: I think that's exactly it. And it's about club finances to a certain extent. Because if you put Rangers and Celtic into the Premier League, and you're right, there's kind of like, Celtics probably a Newcastle, Rangers are probably a Burnley. A team like that, that's kind of their Premier League comparisons. No, Bur- Burnley oh, are both a bit Newcastle, <laughs> <laughs> but you like a. But if you put Celtic and Rangers, if you picked them up and put them in the Premier League, it would massively transform those two clubs because they get. I mean, they get decent gates already, but there'd be bigger teams visiting on a weekly basis. So their gates would go up for the teams for the rest of the league that were coming. The TV money would go up, the global audience would go up. And that's going to be more money in the bank and it's going to enable them to build a better team. So it's not just transporting the 11 players that play every week for Celtic and playing them in the Premier League. It's about picking up an entire club and repositioning it for a global market. And if you look at the Premier League TV money at the moment, yeah, 150 million if you finish top. And then it kind of detracts and goes down the lower down the leagues you finish, depending on where you finish. And if you're a Scottish Premier League club, your TV money is 25 million between every club in the Scottish Premier League. So you can see there's there's a massive financial difference between the two. And if those clubs, if Rangers and Celtic's suddenly in the Premier League and they're getting, I don't know what their take of that 25 million is, but I'd imagine it's at most 5 million, you're suddenly times in that by 30, that enables them to build a better team. And if you Celtic have a great fan base, Rangers have a f- great fan base, there's no reason if they spent four or five years in the Premier League, they could be... Title contenders, almost. Maybe not title contenders, but certainly top four contenders.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned there like the, the money that they'd get as well, but it's, it's just the change. In, and, like, imagine contending for the league every season, being in the top two, and then you've literally got to shift your parameters all the way down to, we've mentioned Burnley quite a lot, <laughs> scrapping with Burnley, scrapping with teams down the bottom of the league, trying to stay up. So there's that adjustment from the fans. And then at the moment, they're attracting players because they've got Europe, but then That's that true. would go for at least... God knows how many years. So they would get... I don't know if they would... They, or they would get better players in. They'd probably get a, only slightly better players, but for more probably astronomical mm. wages. So um, if it was to happen now, I think Celtic would stay up. I think if Rangers came into the Premier League, they'd get relegated. It would destroy season.
1: the Scottish League though, wouldn't it? I mean, if you take Rangers and Celtic out of the SPL, then there's... there's I mean, with the best will in the world to the other teams that are in that league, but the global audience is gone suddenly I think, what little global audience there is
0: do you think maybe we could see a shift in terms of I know they've been talking about doing the north-south divide with the the football league as well maybe that could be something that brings into play like some of the you know the teams below um, Celtic and Rangers mm. in the top premier division as well
1: if you did if you were considering putting Scottish teams into the premier league if that was a consideration and I I don't see a way it could happen logistically for me, without destroying the SPL, if you went, right, Rangers and Celtic, you come into the Premier League, there'd have to then be some kind of promotion and relegation element to that. So the lower Scottish leagues would have to feed into the Premier League as well, because you need to have that, that offering of the promised land. You have to kind of have that carrot on a stick, don't you? For those lower league teams to survive almost. So, yeah, it, it, I can't see a way that it could actually happen.
0: Yeah, I think if it, if it does, you'd have to take everyone, wouldn't you?
1: Right, Marley, let's get the next question. You've got this one?
0: Uh, Yeah, I've got one from
2: James on Facebook, uh, and he says uh, a very uh, trending one this week. Uh, If you were a Premier League footballer, would you be returning to training this week? Obviously, we've seen Troy Deeney saying he's not going back, uh, and Golo Kante as well isn't going back because of the coronavirus fears. Um, So would you go back in your current situation? Uh, go on, well.
0: I'm just reading my email. It says, "If you were Premier League football," so I was actually googling uh, famous footballs from the past. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was I was geared up to be the uh, the night tempo one from 2004, <laughs> the winter edition. But um, it's such a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, all the reasons that Troy Deeney labelled out earlier on in the week, you can understand why that he's done that because obviously he's got a newborn baby and and the effects of COVID on. Um, on BME players has has not been conclusive enough so fully agree and support that reason I just uh, I mean I would just because I want to get out of the house and as as much as uh, I've enjoyed a little bit of lockdown I'd love to be playing football again but I just I I don't want to sit on the fence because we're here to get voice opinions but it's such a tricky one because Mm. there's so many different issues and at play for different people so am I allowed to sit on the fence is that all right
1: yeah, yeah, but as long as it's a disinfected fence and you're within two yes, yeah, meters yeah. from other people sitting on the <laughs> fence, I think it's all right. Um, I wouldn't, I have to say. I think it feels too early for me at the moment. And it has to come down to the personal choice for the individuals involved, obviously. And Dini and Kante are well within their rights to say, no, I'm not going to train because I don't feel like it's within my best interests at the moment. But, I mean, are those people living with elderly relatives? Are they shielding someone vulnerable? Do they have a young family like Deanie? And it's very difficult to imagine how protective you feel of a young family unless you've been in that situation. So it's personal choices and it has to be personal choices. And that's the only way it can happen. What will be really interesting is if large numbers of squads decide they don't want to play, whether it's training or whether it's playing in the games. If you get a group of maybe 10 people in a club who are saying they don't want to play because I'd imagine... That a football club in that situation would be within its rights to terminate contracts or to fine wages, and it would be really bad optics as far as it, the game was concerned, and as far as the club was concerned. But they might have no other choice if the amount of people refusing to be involved did reach that stage because they couldn't play games with ten, fifteen people missing from a playing squad.
0: Yeah, I also think just the, just to put in as well, it's like the, the Premier League were. There was a Premier League source wasn't it, that came out on Sky Sports and said that they wouldn't be paying the wages of of players that decided to do that. But it becomes that ethical mm. issue then, like you said, doesn't it, Jim?
2: It does. Um, for me, I was just chucking, chuck my two pence worth in. I think looking at looking at the the situation now. I mean, I understand Troy Deeney massively, and if I was Troy Deeney, I wouldn't go back with his 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 son potentially in danger if he if he takes if he picks something up and takes it home and you know the consequences could be way more serious than uh, than the final 10 games of a football uh, season but with um with the question being worded as it is with uh, James on Facebook when he says if you were a Premier League player so if i was a Premier League player in my current situation um i i don't live with anyone vulnerable i don't live with uh, anybody that i'm worried about passing it on to if if i did pass it on to the person I live with, we'd, we'd both get over it, or we should do anyway, um, in terms of our, you know, our, our health and our well-being kind of thing. So, um, if if it was a situation for me right now in my life, I would I would go back because I'm in that situation where I'm not worried about passing it on, and if I get it, I'm confident I could get over it as a if I was if I was physically fit enough to be a footballer, I'm pretty sure I'd be f- physically able to get over the uh, the coronavirus and at the end of the day if my club says they are um, if they're if they're capable of of dealing with it and they're testing for it and then they don't hold up that then that's on them so for example if I played for Newcastle and they said yeah Marley you're gonna be fine mm. we've got tests and everything and y- you know our training ground safe and then I picked it up from the training ground I'm pretty sure I've got some some sort of legal right to say, well, you've screwed me over here because I got ill, and there's probably even there's probably legal cases and everything you could go into if you did get into some health difficulties off the back of being promised something was safe when it wasn't. So maybe do you think you'd
1: feel any kind of duty towards playing? Because we've talked a lot about the wages that players get and the the morale morale lift that supposedly. The football, the the UK would get if Premier League football was back on the agenda. I mean, as a West Ham fan, I don't think I've ever had a morale lift from watching West Ham, so I'm not sure where <laughs> they get that from. But I kind of get the concept. Do you think, as a footballer, you'd feel a duty to get him back in action?
2: Um, I'm not. Maybe a little bit. It, it depends on it depends on the person, I suppose. If if it was me, I would I would just want to get back to it. I think if if I was confident enough in, in getting over my. You know the fears of of being ill or whatever, and I think I'd I'd would want to get back in there. So I don't know if it's a duty, but I just think with the with everything, you know, you've been locked down for what seven seven weeks now, something like that. So I think the duty would be forced by the by the boredom of being at home and and not doing what you what you love to do. I think the duty would come from that. So you'd be you'd be more eager to get back to it if uh, if the opportunity was was there to do so.
1: There are loads more questions to come on Football Social Daily, including we're going to be discussing Premier League f***housery. <laughs> and we'll do that next on the podcast.
0: Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. It's the AQA episode. We're answering your questions. If you want to get a question in, you can do so via any of our social media channels, at the Sports Social on Twitter, Sports Social Official on Instagram, and you can search Sports Social on Facebook and you can find us there. Marley, you're going to kick off the second half with your question.
2: I am, yeah. um, We've got... um... Someone on Instagram, Southampton News. Now I don't know who's behind this account. You have to email me uh, or DM the uh, the actual name of you on this uh, on this account. They always get in touch via Instagram and says, "Who is the greatest wind-up merchant in in brackets house in Premier League history?" And I, I love the word <laughs> house. It's it's one of them words that's came into football, and I just I just really enjoy the word house being labelled on a player because everyone knows what it means. Everyone knows the house and this uh, southampton news now is uh, asking who's the greatest in premier league history so we're gonna have to
1: bleep the word uh, house in this podcast so uh, it's just gonna sound like morse code the last couple of minutes
2: <laughs> uh, go on jim who have you got
1: okay I'm, i love this question and i was trying to think of what's the sign of a proper house and i think it's being despised by every single team that you come up against because teams tend to like their own ones but hate other people's, so I considered Lee Catamol for a moment, who at one stage of his career had more red cards than goals. I think that's gone the other way now. I think he's now got more goals than red cards, but only just. But then it occurred to me that there's only one man who could be worthy of this title, and that is got to be Joey Barton, because I think Joey Barton had the unique ability to be hated by his own team fans and own teammates as well as opposition teammates as well and you just look at the rap sheet he's got and some of the stuff he got up to during his playing career stubbing a cigarette out in a teammate's eye getting a 12 match ban for pretty much committing assault on the final day of the 2012 season against manchester city and my favorite joey barton Housery story is when he was released from rangers and he was going to be escorted off the premises by the security and his last kind of act of hausery <laughs> was picking up the coffee maker that he'd bought the other players as a gift when he joined the club and marching out with it under his arm. so yeah <laughs> i mean and the fact he's continued it in his post playing career as well he's been an utter house as a manager uh, getting into scraps with other managers. So, yeah, I mean, no one can convince me that Joey Barton isn't the perfect answer to this question.
2: It's a strong start, to be fair, that. Uh, <laughs> Will Gorm, who are you, who are you picking?
0: Um, I'd like to throw an honourable mention for uh, Raddy Jayidi for one specific <laughs> uh, reason, because when he was at Birmingham, we used to have Sebastian Larson as a free-kick taker who was pretty accurate and he did score some good free kicks, but there was a time where uh, Radhi Jaidi used to um, dance in front of the goalkeeper. He was behind the wall, but looking at the goalkeeper's <laughs> eyes, and he'd dance in front of him to distract him. And I think they actually brought a ruling um, that would say that, no dancing, Jaidi, uh, stop it. And the Jaidi clause. Yeah, yeah, that's interfering with the goalie's view. Um, but for me, um, there's no bigger, I'll save you the bleeping, um, of... Uh, there's no bigger wind-up merchant than Robbie Savage for me Um, (laughs) when he was with us I loved him Um, I think you remember the famous incident against Dion Dublin where Dion actually um, dropped his large forehead on Robbie Savage's nose (laughs) but ultimately that was a a positive because he got Dion sent off in the second city derby Um, just a wind-up merchant on the pitch you hear so many tales of uh, things he would say on the pitch as well but then the ultimate act of betrayal when he left Birmingham to move to Blackburn to be closer to his parents but then when the people did the Google map search it was revealed he was actually closer when he was in Birmingham and he just wanted to leave and even when he left he just stopped training He since apologised for it but maybe just don't do it in the first place Rob um, but yeah Robbie Savage I think we can all agree if he played for you you loved him but if he um, didn't play for you you probably have some few Expletives for him that I won't mention to save the Edison time.
2: Great shout as well, actually. To be fair, I was thinking about uh, about Robbie Savage when when this question came up. I thought, who did I used to hate when uh, when he was playing? And Robbie Savage was right up there. To be fair, and also it's good that you mentioned uh, the Ruddy Jaidi dancing thing because Stephen Taylor used to do the exact same thing um, for Newcastle. I think I think we were playing Sunderland uh, or was it Man United one day um, and. Johan Kabay was taking a free kick and Taylor just danced in front of the goalkeeper for a good, like, 30 seconds. And then... <laughs> he got out of the way when the whistle went, Kabai pinged it in the top corner, and then Taylor went up to the goalkeeper who he'd been winding up and just screamed in his face. <laughs> like, just shaking his fist oh. in his face, like, yes!
1: I think we should bring that back like, to the Premier League. I think dancing to yeah. put off goalkeepers is something that's missing from today's modern game.
0: Yeah, As long and as also. it's brought back and called the Jaiidi clause, that's my only caveat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> also, we've we've just mentioned Stephen Taylor, how could you f- ever forget about the, uh, the Aston Villa... Uh, penalty incident when I think it was it might have been a like Lahore or someone went round, went around the goalkeeper and then hit the shot and um, Stephen Taylor made a fantastic save and then clutched yeah. his uh, the, his side and said uh, said to the referee hit him in the ribs <laughs> and the referee went no it didn't mate, get off <laughs> sent him straight off um but having said all that Stephen Taylor is trumped in my um, my house stakes by the one and only Diego Costa who was yeah. an absolute just I I honestly think the word house comes into the um came into the football language because of him because he was just the biggest horriblest man you could ever try and face as long as he wasn't playing for your I don't remember Costa
1: doing anything particularly nasty at any point. There wasn't like one moment where he did something, but he was just one of those players that no one liked playing against. He was all like physicality and elbows, and he just had that face that made him look like a
2: but that, like a that's the definition of it, though. gangster. That's the definition of it. Like, when he was... Yeah. I think he was playing Skirtle. Um, it was Chelsea versus Liverpool. Him and Martin Skirtle, the two, were probably the hardest men in the league. Um, big Slovakian versus uh, Diego Costa. And they were just, like... just grabbing at each other's faces and eye gouging and all sorts for about about an hour and the referee was like what the hell do I do here because it started after two minutes (laughs) and he was like well do I book them now when they get sent off after 10 and he just kind of let it go for a bit and then Costa practically nearly blinded uh, blinded Skirtle by gouging him and then uh, I think it just ended up like he just just tried to start a fight with everyone on the pitch like sometimes even his own teammates Diego Costa would, would have a go at um, and he was just one of them who you'd, you'd absolutely hate to play against him because he was a big physical lump as well. So you uh, you wouldn't fancy it. So if, he's, he's my choice for me. I, I can't think of anyone who defines the word house more than Diego Costa.
1: Three good shouts there, I reckon. All three worthy of inclusion. Uh, Going to go on to a question from Oscar Snowball, which is a great name, on Instagram. I don't know the answer to this one. I can't pick it. He says, who's had the best managerial season? This, obviously, uncompleted season he's referring to. Chris Wilder or Brendan Rodgers? What are you saying, Will?
0: I think with this one, it was a bit more clear for me. I think if you go back to expectations and predictions, I actually referred back to my sports social predictions, (laughs) uh, where I'd put, I think, Sheffield United definitely in the bottom three, if not bottom. Yeah. And I, I had had a little punt on uh, Leicester to be in the top four. That's because I'm a bit of a maverick, Jim. You know that. Um, but I've So I think Chris Wilder, in terms of who's had the best season, for me, that would be him. Um, I think most people before... I mean, I've watched them a lot in the Championship, and obviously they had a unique style of play, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. To be mm. going into this lockdown period, with them still having a chance to... To qualify for Champions League football, let's be honest. Um, obviously, I don't think they'll do it, but they've still got that chance in their first season in the Premier League. Revolutionised the way that we see teams come up and I think it was a bit of arrogance from a lot of uh, pundits and, and even teams that have took them on in the early stages to not recognise the talent that was there and um, it just shows how much talent is available in the Championship and League One.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the best way to look at it, isn't it? Everyone, apart from our very own Fergal Brennan, predicted Sheffield United to struggle this season. I predicted them to go down, whereas Leicester City, we kind of knew the potential that was there. We knew they could challenge for Europe, and it was just left to Rogers to turn a team that was underperforming, to kind of get them into a position where they were performing well. So, yeah, maybe you convinced me it would have to be Wilder, unless Marley can convince me it should be Rodgers.
2: Uh, well, it's interesting you should uh, you should say this, because on Monday, we've got the uh, the What Might Have Been podcast coming out, and we we actually were saying we will predict who's been the manager of the season, and I think these two will probably get a mention, Rodgers and um, and Chris Wilder as well. But for me, I I would agree with with Chris Wilder, um, just because of, of, of similar things to uh, to what Will said in terms of expectations like I, we know that Brendan Rodgers is a good manager I, when he when he left Liverpool and he became this like meme like joke of a manager mm. I thought that was incredibly harsh on, on his talent as a manager he nearly got Liverpool to win the league um, which to that point was as close as they've been in 30 years with Suarez and Sterling and Sturridge and Gerrard and all the rest of them um, and that was with a, a squad that isn't as good as it is now so it wasn't as if they were meant to win the league that year so rogers for me being rogers getting a good good side like leicester into the comfortably into the top six and even challenging for for second and third uh, was a is a massive thing but also you you wouldn't put that past him as a manager for me whereas chris wilder was a bit of an unknown quantity Um, everyone knew he was a good manager but the step up to the premier league something he's never done before and with a squad with not a massive amount of money to spend, like Sheffield United, and no real sort of standout players, it was—it's a real test of management to to get that squad to where it is now. And with them sitting in in seventh or eighth in the Premier League, that's—it's absolutely massive. You can't even underestimate what he's done there with with the squad he's got. I mean, he's got a thirty-five-year-old Billy Sharp up front, so doing things like that with with players like he's got. Is uh, is no mean feat, and for me, he's been um, the the better. Well, he's had the, the slightly better season than than Brendan Rodgers, although they've both had both had a very good year. Um, but it's interesting because Will mentioned his uh, his predictions at the start of this uh, of his of his little answer there, and I've just loaded them up on my uh, on my laptop here. So he's actually gone for Sheffield United to go down, uh, Leicester to Leicester to finish fourth. And uh, Man City. So the top four. His top four was Man City, Liverpool, Spurs, and Leicester.
1: So decent. In fact, I think Will was so pleased with that, it sounded like he was unzipping his trousers.
0: Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that was a hoodie, Will. <laughs> Straight myself. He has got. Right, a, so you kind of.
2: Could... He has got Newcastle to finish 18th though, which I'd like to uh, remind him of at this moment, because we're not finishing there, mate.
1: Well, still time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not with all that money. That's true. Season's not finished yet. Right, let's wrap up the podcast
1: with one final and one excellent question, which you've got, Will.
0: Yes, it's from Finn on Instagram. He said, What's the most legendary goal in Premier League history from a commentary perspective? Is there a piece of commentary you can recite from history because of its importance? Jim, I feel like this is a tailor made question for yourself.
1: I'm going to cheat. Straight off the bat, I'm going to go for a Champions League goal, not a Premier League goal, but it did feature a Premier League team. And it's not maybe the moment for me because it's not a massively significant moment in my footballing history. But I guess it is a significant moment in footballing history if you are a Chelsea fan, because it was the Fernando Torres goal against Barcelona. In 2012, it was in the last dying minutes. It secured a 2 2 draw. It got Chelsea through to the final of the Champions League. But that was all eclipsed. That all didn't matter because it became an instant meme for the Gary Neville commentary that featured. Have a listen to this. That's Gary getting almost as excited as Will did when (laughs) Marley made his predictions. I mean, I've never heard Gary Neville make a noise like that since. And I don't want to hear a noise like that ever again. But it's just the bit of commentary and it just sticks in my head. And every time I think of Gary Neville, I think of that bit of commentary as well. And the fact that it, like I say, it eclipsed the actual moment, which was a massive moment in Chelsea's footballing history, makes it iconic for me. So I've picked that one.
0: Also on that, Jim, you think Fernando Torres didn't really do much in a Chelsea shirt and the only thing he did was eclipsed by Gary Neville having an orgasm off camera.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very true.
0: Uh, Marley, what about you?
2: Yeah, so mine, mine's a little bit similar to, to Jim's uh, love of Gary Neville wetting his pants at uh, Fernando Torres because 16 years before that, uh, that night in the new Camp, um, there was a similar sort of exclamation from uh, the one and only Martin Tyler, uh, who I... Personally, do not rate as a as a commentator at all. I can't. I really don't like his his whole style. But this was the one time where I actually remember him being excited about football, and it's where um, in nineteen ninety six um, Newcastle were playing Man United, and shock, as, as I'm picking a Newcastle goal for this one. Um, but we uh, we we beat them five 0 It was one of my earliest sort of memories of football. I was I think I was five years old. Remember um, being in school. All my all my mates were Man United fans because. In Cumbria, everyone's a Man United fan because there's no proper teams to support up there. <laughs> there's no local good teams, um, and it was one of them where Newcastle won five 0 and you know we we absolutely smashed uh, smashed Man United. One of our best ever performances of that entertaining time. But the fifth goal came from uh, big Belgian centre half Philippe Albert, who uh, was 25 yards out, and he was one of these sort of marauding centre backs before they were even a thing. He was one of them who could who could comfortably just come forward and get involved in midfield and, and take shots and what have you. He scored quite a, a decent number of goals in Newcastle over the years as well. Um, but this was the best of the lot. And he spotted Peter Schmeichel on his six-yard line when Albert was about 30 yards out and he just clipped the most sumptuous chip over the top of him absolutely brilliantly. But Martin Tyler's uh, commentary was just was perfect for it because it was like the original Gary Neville goalgasm, so have a listen to this.
0: Here they are, looking for number five, with Philippe Albert!
2: There you go. That was uh, that was Martin Tyler. Absolutely brilliant uh, commentary. Just summed up what everybody was thinking when you watched it. You just you didn't know that Philippe Albert had it in his locker to float one over, probably the best goalkeeper in Premier League history, like that, and make him look like an absolute mug. Uh, but he did, and that's uh, that's that's the one for me. Will, have you got one?
0: Yes, I've gone for. I, until doing a bit of research in you know, it, I actually didn't think it was that as monumental of a goal, but I think it did lead Man United to go on to another Premier League uh, successful campaign. And it was um, Makeda's last minute winner against Aston Villa. Um, and it sounds a little bit like this. Great right turn by Makeda! Astonishing!
1: I've got no recollection of that at all. Really?
0: Not at all. It's uh, it's the turn. It's, it's quite a good goal, to be fair. And McAda went on to have a bang-average career, such as life. He ended up on loan <laughs> at uh, Birmingham City to uh, really put a nail in the coffin for him. But it was a goal, I think, that led Man United to go on to win another title. But all of these uh, goals that we've picked out, I think you've got to have a slight um, rise in the voice where it goes a little bit higher. And Martin Tylers definitely does that. Out of nowhere, really, because... You think of all the amazing goals that Martin Tyler's seen. A last-minute winner from Makeda against Aston Villa. I mean, it's the most exciting I've ever heard him. So, I don't know if he's a huge Makeda <laughs> fan. Um, but, yeah, Martin Tyler with the old, oh, oh it just, it's uh, it's just a pure delight to hear.
1: Lovely stuff, and a double for Martin Tyler.
2: Did you just search for uh, goals against Aston Villa, Will? Is that what you've gone for, here? <laughs> It was a, as a devout Birmingham fan. Yeah,
0: they're all there. I've got a top ten of goals <laughs> against Aston Villa, just ready to go.
1: I think I'm the only person who approached that question as a neutral, aren't I? N- Marley obviously went for a Newcastle goal. You've gone for an anti-Villa
0: goal. Yeah, wasn't? I mean, I was going to go Aguero, but I mean, I think that's just that's the uh, that's the top of everyone's list, isn't
2: it? Jim, you came from from such a neutral angle that you went for a f- Champions League goal. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, fair enough,
1: fair comment. Do you know my first thought was the uh, bit of commentary in. Um, what was it It was a Italia ninety where Chris Waddle is going to take the penalty, and the commentator I forget who it was goes to his co-commentator is Chris Waddle going to score yes or no <laughs> and the commentator goes yes <laughs> which was uh, like, yeah, the, yeah. the biggest nail in the coffin ever so I was going to go for that but that's not Premier League either uh, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast thank you very much for answering the questions Will and Marley appreciate your time yes, no, problem. no problem you can make sure you never miss a Football Social Daily podcast by hitting subscribe now and we'll send you the podcasts as soon as they're ready. And once the season gets back underway and we're doing podcasts every single day, that is a really good time. So get subscribe, hit it now, and we'll make sure we furnish you with the latest Premier League news as soon as it's ready. Now, before we go, this podcast is recorded in Manchester and today is the 22nd of May 2020, which marks the third anniversary of the attack on the Manchester Arena where 22 people lost their lives. Now, to date, football has pretty much escaped incidents like that. But one day, it's gonna happen. One day they'll come for us, and the sport could learn a lot from the way that Manchester acted in the wake of that attack. If football can react with the same heart, with the same passion, with the same community, and the same resilience that Manchester showed in the days and the months and the years since the attack, then it won't be going far wrong. Today in Manchester, we're proud, but we're also thinking of the people that lost their lives in the attack. So today's podcast is dedicated to the 22.
0: ...social daily with German Kebat. slow-cooked, succulent meats, delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and delivery.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has
0: anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.